She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am your host, Sarah Gorski, and today on the pod, as promised, I have brought you some lighter fare for us to listen to. Today's broad is a new broad to many of us, hopefully, and she is a French broad. We have not covered very many French broads on the history of the podcast. About I went through the, the whole spreadsheet I have, and of 179 that we have covered so far, only about six of these broads that we've covered have been French women. We have episodes on Julie Daubigny, the duelist and opera singer. We have Sophie Blanchard, the first female balloonist. Chevalier Deon, the trans-French spy who negotiated the Treaty of Paris. Alice Guy Blachet, the first female film director. And then, of course, we have Christine de Pizan and Joan of Arc from the Medieval Times. But today we've got a new French broad. And she's from the 19th century, mainly in the 1800s. And when I first stumbled across her story, I fell in love with her. And I am so excited to share her with you today. Today I'm bringing you Jeanne Villepreux Power, the marine biologist, scientist, and inventor of, can you guess? The aquarium. <laughs> okay, one of the things I love the most about this broad is her very unlikely origin story. Unlike some of these other more sciencey STEM broads that we have talked about before, that had like heavy home influences. Like a lot of the women we've covered have had their daddies already in the business or they had a lot of influence in adjacent businesses and really helped their daughters to break through the glass ceiling, but not Jen. In fact, the odds seemed particularly stacked against her from the very beginning. So I'm gonna just dig right in. Jen Villepreux, hopefully I'm saying that right, was born September 24th, 1794 in Juillac, Corrèze. Her daddy was a shoemaker and her mom was a seamstress. And despite them being in rural France, Jeanne was taught to read and write. So she had that going for her from the very beginning. And when she is 11, her mama dies. And she hangs in there in rural France with her dad for another seven years but when an opportunity for a job as a dressmaker in Paris reaches her ears, she jumps at the chance to spread her wings in the big city. So she sets out on a journey to Paris by foot, which is, by the way, where they're at, to Paris is 300 kilometers away. It was obviously not safe for a young woman to travel alone. So part of the travel arrangements that they made is that her cousin was going to take the trip with her uh, to go to Paris. So how excellent, right? Her cousin. Except that this cousin turns out to be an absolute trash human. 
And he ends up assaulting her and steals her identity papers. And then he flees the scene of the crime. Now, sources don't talk about this particular event very in depth, so it's hard to know the extent of the assault, but I'm led to believe he kind of like knocked her out and robbed her, right? Um, not that that's okay or better. She was still in a boatload of trouble because she needed her identity papers in order to travel and get that job in Paris, right? And I, I think I recall that the sources said she was nearby Orléans at the time. So, you know, Joan of Arc, we got some commonality there. So having been beaten and robbed, Jen finds her way to a local convent for safety. And as soon as she is able to, she has new travel documents made, apparently by the local police. They apparently used to be very helpful back in those days, which was a surprise to hear for her. But this whole fiasco delays her trip to Paris significantly. And by the time she finally gets to Paris, the position she's been promised was already filled. So she is scrambling around and she's able to secure a less ideal job, but a job nonetheless as a seamstress's assistant. Now, sources didn't specify very much about her this time in her life. It's evident that she's very good at her job, very good at dressmaking. And in the span of four years, she's worked on apparently thousands of dresses. And she became so well-known and so well-respected by the upper echelon of rich folks that she is eventually commissioned to make a wedding dress for Italy's Princess Caroline for her wedding to Charles Ferdinand de Bourbon. I want to say bourbon, but I think it's bourbon. And as luck would have it, not only were her royal clients very, very happy, but she was also a guest at their wedding. And at the wedding, she meets this well-to-do English merchant named James Power. And they fall in love and they marry in 1818. And she takes the name Jeanne Villepreux Power. That's hyphenated, Villepreux Power. I love that she is an early adapter of the hyphenated name. Speaking anecdotally, not scientifically, we don't really see a lot of hyphenated names in that period of time, especially when the woman is kind of marrying up, up class. Um, so I also love that about her. So the happy couple moves to Sicily to the town of Messina, which is right on the water of the Mediterranean. It's a big port city. And Sicily is, you may or may not know, because I guess I didn't really know, <laughs> um, is a big island. So the water everywhere all around them. And now, because of her marriage, Jen is a lady of leisure. She doesn't have to sew for a living because her hubby has done pretty well for himself. But Jen as you might have suspected, is not quite into the leisure life. She wants to learn more. Quote, she no longer sewed or embroidered dresses for a living, and she didn't continue with such genteel pursuits to keep herself busy. Instead, she rolled up her sleeves and became a scientist. End quote. Specifically, she becomes kind of obsessed with learning more about all of the nature and life on Sicily, and most especially the marine life. 
She begins walking the shores in her long skirts and she's poking around and observing all of the life that she can find. And over the next 20 or so years, she would study the island's wildlife and she would correspond with top naturalists all over the world. Uh, And eventually she would write quite a bit, but um, two guides to Sicily are included in her writings. Quote, way ahead of her time, she came up with the idea of restocking overfished rivers with fish and crayfish. End quote. She also documented tool use by Octopus vulgaris, and she observed them, uh, the animal using stones to wedge open shells. And in the midst of all this, she becomes particularly intrigued by a creature called Argonauta. Argo, or familiarly, the paper nautilus. Jeanne wrote, quote, having for several years devoted to the natural sciences the hours that remained to me free from my domestic affairs, while I was classifying some marine objects for my study, the octopus of the Argonauta transfixed my attention above the rest, because naturalists have been of such various opinions about this mollusk. So this animal is a little cephalopod, aka the octopus family. And they're kind of mind-blowingly unique for an animal. And listeners, you may not already know, or maybe you do, that I am obsessed with octopi. I have a giant octopus shower curtain and I could watch YouTube videos of octopuses squeezing in and out of super tiny spaces all day long, literally all day. So I'm getting into Jen's story and now I too, as I'm reading about this little creature, am completely obsessed with the paper nautilus too. The females of the species have shells and the much smaller males do not and they can actually detach themselves from their shell, which other mollusks cannot do. However, they never leave their shell behind. They always are taking it with them. And during their reproductive cycles, their shells grow to be four times their regular size, which happens literally nowhere else in the animal kingdom. They also have these almost wing-like membranes that look like little sails. And all of their unique physical traits allow them to not only lay their eggs inside their shells, but they also create extra buoyancy and float their own shells and they can travel long distances expelling minimal energy. And they also can be apparently very fast, incredibly fast in the water. So as you can imagine, naturalists, not just Jen, but naturalists had been obsessed with these incredible creatures for a really long time. But they are incredibly difficult to observe in the wild. As soon as they feel they are being observed or approached by something, a potential predator, anything, they plunge away from the surface into the very deep water and they puff this cloud of ink between themselves and the perceived predator. Um... Even if that predator is just a scientist like Jen, right? <laughs> Jen observed, quote, when the air is serene, the sea is calm, and she believes herself unobserved. The Argonauta adorns herself with her beauties. 
but I had to be prudent to enjoy her rich colors and graceful pose, for this animal is very suspicious, and as soon as it perceives that it is being observed, it withdraws its membranes into its shell in the blink of an eye and flees to the bottom of the cage or the sea, re-emerging to the surface only when it thinks it is safe from all danger. It is at this time we can observe its movements and its habits, end quote. And due to this very, very shy, skittish nature of the creature, most of the observations that scientists had made about the creature so far to this point in time were made from dead creatures that had washed up on shore. So scientists like couldn't learn very much because the creature is dead. You can't actually see it. And, you know, cephalopods look completely different inert than they do when they're actually alive. Um, so there was a lot of guessing floating around and nobody really knew for a fact how they operated and especially of special interest to literally everybody since the time apparently of Aristotle. Um, they wanted to know how they got their shells. Did they find their shells like a hermit crab would? Or did they make them themselves? Did they like secrete something that made the shells? Nobody knew, and it was this great mystery. Now, Jeanne quickly realized what most of her compatriots in the industry had not, that she could only really discover the true origin of the shell if she could observe the living creatures. So she designs and builds one of the world's very first offshore research stations. It was a system of these immense cages and she anchors them off of the coast of Sicily and it ha they have all these like observation windows so she could like watch the creatures through all these windows without bothering them, without scaring them. So she could kind of see them in their more natural environment. And every day she would prepare food for them and she would get in her little rowboat and she would row out to the cages. Remind, remind you, she is wearing these like huge long skirts, rowing herself out here. And she would kneel on the platform and she would watch these Nautilus for hours and hours and hours. But as you can imagine, this task was probably especially trying especially when the weather was cold or nasty and if the cheese, uh, the seas were choppy, right? So Jen is like, well, what can we do about this? This is like a really difficult way to research. And she sets about to create a solution. And in the process, she creates the world's very first aquarium. At home, she builds this whole marine biology lab basically stacked with these huge tanks and they're populated with living argonauts amongst the, all of the creatures she acquired three pregnant females each housing thousands of eggs inside that extra large shell and she would watch them hatch and she would observe their entire lifetime, basically. She would conduct experiments and observations, and she would magnify eggs and shell fragments under the microscope. And lo and behold, all of these steady observations bear great fruit for her. And she is able to answer all of these unknown questions about the Argonauta, which nobody else previously could have figured out for centuries. She wrote, quote, 
I armed myself with patience and courage, and only after several months managed to dissolve my doubts and see my research crowned with happy confirmation, end quote. In a series of groundbreaking experiments, which she started in 1833, Jeanne was able to, quote, demonstrate by unequivocal proofs that the Argonauta octopus is the builder of its shell. She actually watched as these creatures grew up and apparently the little baby octopus like hugged themselves with those little sail membrane things that they have and something is secreted and it builds and builds and it becomes a shell. It's this amazing, amazing observation. Um, and all her work garners, it ends up garnering her great respect in the science and naturalist community. One of the biggest names in the entire field at the time was this English biologist named Richard Owen. He was so impressed by Jen and her work. They were writing letters back and forth corresponding. He was so impressed with her work that he dubbed her the mother of Aquariophily. And apparently, if anybody else questioned her findings, which did happen because she was a woman, and who was she? She was this unknown unknown person providing all this very intense information that no one previously had ever figured out. But if anybody questioned the findings, Richard, who, by the way, was the guy that apparently named the dinosaurs, he his support was a huge deal. If anyone questioned her, he would lay the smack down on them. And he even helped promote her findings more widely, which opened all of these doors for her, which she might not have been able to crack open herself. He apparently read one of her letters and presented her findings before the London Zoological Society. And her research was a revelation to all of them, and they would eventually make her a member there. Uh, Jeanne was also the first woman named the member of the Catania Academia Geo... Geo... Gioenia. I think it's Gioenia. I don't speak Italian. That sounds Italian. And also, she was a member of 16 other of these like learned science societies, which just really did not happen for women in this time period, right? We're in the 1800s. If you Google her right now, you're going to find some great articles about her. But not enough for the accomplishments we just talked about and how much she blew open the field of marine biology. And the reason for that, the reason there's not a ton of a ton of articles and information about her, um, aside from the fact that she's a woman and not a man, is that when her and her husband decide to leave Sicily in 1843, they pack up all their belongings, including the massive collection of Jen's writing and drawings and research documentation. All of their stuff is loaded onto a ship for this big move. But... During the trip, the ship sinks in what has to be one of the greatest tragedies in STEM history. And almost all of Jeanne's papers and writings are lost at sea. Some of it, some of her work was able to be recovered thanks mostly to her previous correspondence, all the letters she wrote all to all these other researchers. But after the ship sinks, it appears that she kind of lost steam kind of in her pursuits and she continued to write but she wouldn't publish again and she didn't conduct any further research 
She and her husband would eventually end up dividing their time between Paris and London, and Jeanne would flee Paris during a siege by the Prussian army in the winter of 1870. And she returned to Juliac after that, and she ends up dying the next year, January 1871, at the fairly ripe old age of 77. Not too bad for the 1800s. Um... That is kind of all I was able to kind of scrape together about her, uh, except for one little fact, which I think is super fun, that in 1997, her name, Ville Pru Power, was given to a crater on Venus. So there is a crater on Venus that is named after Jeanne. And she was just an amazing broad and an amazing stem broad for that matter um yeah i wish we had more that shipwreck i can't even believe like what a horrific loss um she is there was this other dude that's like if you if you research the first aquarium there's this other name that pops up i didn't even write it down because i hate including the names of those fuckers but um he was apparently like made the aquarium more popular but it was jen it was jen who created the aquarium both those outdoor aquariums those like sets of cages as well as the ones that you bring inside your house that she brought into her own home um she really invented that that had not previously been done before so she laid the groundwork for the way that marine life was studied and and what blows my mind the most is that like nobody before her literally thought about the fact that like oh these creatures are dead maybe we should do a better job or work harder to try to observe them while they're alive everybody just thought like well this is all we know so we'll just never know and then here comes jen who's like you know i feel like if I watch them alive, okay, how do I do that? And she figures it out. And um, I just, um, I don't know. She was amazing. She was like most certainly this person who just thought outside of the box and didn't give a shit what anybody else thought. And I can't even imagine. I was thinking about while I was researching this, like, what would her hubby? She like built this huge aquarium inside. She's got all these cephalopods inside their house. Um, but he must have been supportive because she, you know, wasn't prevented. He didn't, at least in the records we have, you know, he wasn't, pre she wasn't prevented, um, from doing all these pursuits. Um, and also shout out to Richard, man, that guy who really championed her and brought her in. Cause in the times when women are not able to crack through the glass ceiling, sometimes you just need one big name to help introduce you to the group and get you through that. So shout out to Richard. Uh, we don't do a lot of dude shout outs on this episode, but he not only named all the dinosaurs, but he also brought us Jen and made her work uh, essential, more essential and respected. Uh, and, you know, ended up furthering the study of marine biology. To learn more about Jeanne Villepru Power, to see some of her drawings and quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me, my bio, photo, links to all my cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram and now YouTube at 
Broads You Should Know, and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, help spread the word about us. Share an episode with your friends and family or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about Jeanne Villepreux Power, then you should check out some of our other episodes on STEM broads. We've got Caroline Herschel, who cataloged stellar objects. We have Dr. Jane Cook-Wright, who revolutionized cancer research. And Florence Nightingale, who created for the first time rose charts or rose diagrams, changing the way that statistics and data were reported. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.